Uh, this entire NFC side is a fucking comedy skit. stop shop for news reviews and overreactions to all things nfl this week it's the end of the frank reich after 12 games so hey we've got connor here we've got ronan hello uh, we got sean hello uh, sean how are you getting on down in waterford now you're back from the lovely capital city grand yeah we were up uh, myself and my wife sarah were up in dublin for the weekend just in time to catch the the riots and to be at a hotel two doors down from please the riots incite the riots please <laughs> Hey, I neither confirm nor deny my participation in said riots. Those are, yeah. those are some lovely new shoes you're wearing, Sean. <laughs> Asics, of course. A bit of a strange one in terms of the city was kind of a bit quieter than usual and lots of cops around in the aftermath. But we went to see some art. We went to see the Andy Warhol exhibition in the Hugh Lane Gallery. And we went to see Napoleon, the movie, not the person. <laughs> Met yourself, Connor, for brunch. Yeah, it was uh, nice. So it was, yeah, it was good. Good weekend all around, even though it wasn't quite as exciting as, as you were yeah, <laughs> Take a little bit of a, uh, a downturn in terms of excitement because of the the weird feeling around the city about what whether that thing was going to happen again. Yeah, fair enough. How about yourself? It's how's Cork. Lot less exciting down here in Cork. No riots yet, but uh, yeah, no things are pretty quiet down here. Uh, my brother actually got stuck in town. He's on a few pints in the in the middle of town. It's the near Stevens Green. Just do the old Sean the Dead strategy, you know, just have a few points for the whole thing to blow over. <laughs> Down the yeah, for, me, for me, pretty quiet, tipping away at work, big decisions we've made. Yeah, kind of coming towards the end of the year and uh, just enjoying football. Yeah, similar enough here that went into town on the Sunday, watched the football with a couple of mates. It was uh, good fun now, I must say. But other than that, relatively quiet. I'm off to Limerick this weekend now, so looking forward to that. I suppose we should probably kick into a lump of the news. So we'll kick off with the main part of the news. As I said at the top there, Carolina have fired their head coach, Frank Reich, after 12 games. Disastrous 1-11 start. And I believe this is now the, the shortest tenure as a head coach since the 70s. It's just, it's not been a particularly enjoyable season for any Panthers fans out there, like uh, Shane, who was bemoaning it on, on Sunday. It's just been terrible offense. They have the number one overall pick there, Bryce Young, and he's just not looked fantastic. He's had a couple of moments of looking good but getting no consistency in it there's a lot of moving around as well so like you know he gave up play calling duties and he took them back over and we mentioned i think a couple of weeks ago in the pod that like he was essentially throwing management under the bus for selecting bryce young and things like that it was it was just not a very good situation overall it's not exactly going to be the world's most attractive position for new head coaches in the coming year given that they have very little draft capital following the young trades. I believe they don't have a first or a second round pick in the upcoming one. They don't really have any offensive talent because they traded away their wide receiver as well. It's not really the the best look. And this is obviously they've changed ownership a couple of years back and there has been a lot of uh, firings around. So it's not exactly the most stable or the most resource rich program to be going into. But as we say, look, there's only 32 of these jobs. So someone's going to want to take it. Special teams coach Chris Tabor has been named interim head coach. Awesome coordinator Thomas Brown is now the play caller with the assistance of Jim Caldwell, their senior assistant there. It was a messy situation. I'm not sure what you gain getting rid of him with whatever five weeks, six weeks left on the season. It doesn't seem a great position. It doesn't seem a great organization. It seems to be just a bit confused. I would be running away from this place as quick as I can, similar to you know the Texans a couple of years back when they were just firing everyone after a year regardless of what was happening. I'm not sure why anyone would necessarily want this job, given that you're also then going to be tied to... This is a big statement by the 
ownership that they believe in Bryce Young and he's their guy. So unless maybe there's a coach out there who looks at Bryce Young and thinks, well, this, this is the kind of guy I want for my system. If you want to come down to brass tacks, maybe they just wanted a scapegoat. Maybe the—I mean—it does seem like if you want to be pointing fingers at the, the ownership uh, and the GM and people in charge of drafting, and there seems to be a lot of responsibility should be falling on anyone except the head coach. I mean, obviously, one in eleven is a pretty terrible start, and the team wasn't playing well. And when you got this issue with flip-flopping away from being play caller, I mean, it's a way of drawing attention to yourself. And obviously, I think the comparison to when Stroud is playing so well, it, it just every week becomes a reinforcement of the mistake that was made. But again, that wasn't Frank Reich's decision, and he uh, he seems or he claims to have opposed it. It doesn't make a tremendous amount of sense in terms of moving forward, uh, unless the ownership feels that you know they're in denial about their own involvement in the in the problems and are looking for someone to blame. As you said, it's not going to get any better anytime soon. Now, obviously, someone will take the job because. It's a way of, you know, if you can make a good job of it, it's a way of establishing your reputation or getting a chance to be head coach when you otherwise wouldn't do, etc. But yeah, this team is not getting any better anytime soon. And certainly Bryce Young's going to have to figure out how to be an NFL caliber quarterback and produce stats worthy of the of, of his of his draft position before this team starts to go anywhere. Because it starts with him. If he gets to be good and if he gets to if he has like a Trevor Lawrence type evolution where by the second or third year he's he's looking actually quite good, then the team will improve around him. And that seems to be the only path I can think of for the Panthers to get better in the long run because as it stands you say they don't have an awful lot of talent and not an awful lot of capital and not an awful lot of, of drafts that they can use it's it's not it's a it's a bit of a poison, poison chalice but hey they're also in a terrible division so you don't have to be that good in order to be competitive again on one hand i'm like frank reich he probably should have done better given his reputation but on the other hand it doesn't look like he was given any help whatsoever any, anywhere so blame all around i think is, is the way to kind of come out of this one but the honest truth is that frank reich was brought in to, to fix the offense to work with a young quarterback and make them you know worthy of being the number one overall pick after trading you know a king's ransom to get him and the things that we've learned this year is that that isn't happening. And Frank Reich has looked like a spent docket on the sideline. He just actually just looked sad. I don't know. Like, I know the visuals aren't everything, but he did genuinely just look like someone who doesn't have it in him anymore. Maybe you should have predicted that. Like his tenure in Indianapolis was, you know, not great QB play. There wasn't really a feeling that he was elevating the QB play. He was relying on getting guys like Philip Rivers to kind of make the system work. It was a solid system, but it wasn't the system that was blowing you away. And one which at this point in Carolina, when like Adam Thielen is your like top wide receiver and, you know, your offensive line, which has had a lot of investment, but which has been underperforming that investment, isn't really living up to the task, can see the justification for why you have to make a move, especially as the play caller, then he's not the play caller, then the play caller again that just gives to me a sense that the offense is chaotic and that's only going to make things worse and ruin even more likely the career of your young quarterback and as Connor alluded to there wasn't fired as part of this but he was fired by the people like the new head coach Chris Tabor but uh, they got rid of Josh McCowan of course who was associated during the draft process of being very highly effusive and saying hey get yourself ready to come to Carolina to CJ Stroud and so those reports, those rumors, Reich's own comments at press conference saying, oh, the relationship with the owner is different and he's very hands-on, those all indicate this was falling apart much faster and to a much greater degree than just like a standard just not working out. So I can see why it's happened, but the situation overall is pretty grim for this roster going forward. I think there has been suggestions from people like Daniel Jeremiah that, you know, the defense, while 
It's not been terrible, it's been fine. It does have a lot of veteran pieces like Brian Burns, Derek Brown, who are either on the, could be tagged, tagged in trade or are coming into the final year of their contracts. Maybe some of the veteran guys like Shaq Thompson. Maybe they should take some of those uh, defensive resources and trade them away and pick up some stuff and help the offense because a team with a good defense and an offense this bad is never, you're never going to survive that. But a team with a good offense or at least, a, you know, a reasonable offense and which is helping make your number one overall pick look good and a bad defense, you can survive that for, well, longer. And so there's definitely going to be some interesting decisions there for this organization, particularly the GM, Scott Fitterer, assuming he's around next year, whether they want to basically go all in and on fixing the Bryce Young situation by putting talent, offensive line, weapons around him or whether they're just going to kind of with, with on the current trajectory it's like maybe throw a bunch of money at free agency but th- that's nearly not going to get done there's very few weapons of note you'll get in free agency so it's a very tough position for them here but for the rest of the season they're just playing at the string and uh, it feels like a team that at best might win one more two more games even if they get that interim head coach bump your hope is the panthers have a fair whack of cap space next year so the hope would be yeah, that but, you know there's there's yeah. about eight or nine wide receivers due to hit free agency now not all of them will but you know like there, there are pieces they, there are things they can do I suppose at least is the uh, is the idea while well, they've got their cheap quarterback but yeah it's still got to be based around getting that fixed they're not the only firings though Washington has decided to fire defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio and their DBs coach Brett Vesselmeyer they came after the Thanksgiving game where they got absolutely blown out by Dallas Washington defense has allowed the most yards and points in 2023 and they've just not been getting much out of Jack Del Rio despite kind of having big names on that defense it's one because if you remember was it two years ago there was a big rift in the coaching between him and Riverboat Ron as well so I think there was kind of on the cards for a little bit it does smack to me a little bit of playing a bit of a silly blame game kind of like Tom was saying about the the blaming of Reich on in Carolina because like yes the defense hasn't been good but also like this is a team that traded away two of their best defensive pieces on that line like yeah. three weeks ago. They're not putting themselves in a position to win, really. And I think this is more taking heat off the head coach. Now, I believe Rivera is going to take over defensive play calling for the rest of the season. So we'll see if they can get a little bump out of that or anything. But it just it seems it seems messy. Like it seems there's a clear out coming here in Washington. And this is just to try and keep the fans on board for the moment they're shuffling the the deck chairs on the riverboat right now and that's just the way they are they're four and eight so they're effectively eliminated from playoff contention and their defense has stunk to high heaven as you say stunk all year but yeah it's, it has definitely taken an even another step down since they made those two trades away of Montez Sweat and Chase Young and I don't really think you can blame Jack Del Rio for the last couple of weeks and the, and obviously the blowout in Thanksgiving but like Ron Rivera basically fighting uh, for the right to keep his job obviously the Howell thing the QB situation, the enemy is working okay, I would say. And so if the defense could just get to back being league average or, or show some signs of growth, maybe he could somewhat justify it. But I think as you're, you say, it's very unlikely outcome happen. But like, look, the Del Rio tenure has been very, you know, underwhelming. He came in his first year, changed him to a 4-3 scheme, seemed to have an immediate impact that made sense with the guys that they had, like the drafting of Chase Young. But year on year, it's got worse and worse and worse. And obviously, given all the talent and big names that they had on that defense, really not acceptable. Like when you had Deron Payne and Chase Young and Montez Sweat, and you had some solid players at the linebacker a position, you've been investing first round picks in it, and it's just been the worst defense in the league. A firing was coming, but yeah, this, this definitely doesn't feel like it's a, you know, it'll make much of a difference when all these guys are gone. Probably the only person who has any chance of sticking around is probably the enemy because that, that's been okay. 
We had a signing. Houston picked up edge rusher Derek Barnett following his release from Philly, trying to bolster up their, their core at that position. And Indianapolis released uh, linebacker Shaq Leonard. There's some interest apparently from Dallas and Philadelphia. So he was kind of a, a two or three time all pro, like was really, really good, but then had neck surgeries and I think a back surgery and it's just not really been the same player at all since. So it's kind of, it was, uh, in one respect, it was a surprise cut. But then whenever you look at the tape and see how he's been playing, you can see he's not really at all the player he used to be. That's it could maybe fit in as a rotational piece for a kind of a deeper defense for a run but yeah wouldn't be someone you'd want to have in all down Derek Barnett will join that Houston defensive line as they make a push for the playoffs he's never been like a supremely uh, productive player usually around five to six sacks a season but he'll be expected probably the third string behind Grenard and Will Anderson so I think you know he fitted that role well in Philly after being a first round pick never really loved the expectation but part of the rotation I think this is a very similar role so he should succeed there for a team that's uh, young and hungry and very much in the playoff hunt as for Shaquille Leonard he, has, he hasn't really been good since he was called Darius Leonard basically in his initial few years was one of the best players he got that really big contract off the Colts and then you know as you said the neck injury has kind of stymied his career significantly he's been a part-time player at linebacker for Indianapolis that's part of the reason apparently why he was unhappy uh, and now obviously an opportunity with either the Cowboys or, or Philadelphia those are both two championship level rosters can kind of rebuild his image in a system where he won't be expected to carry the load hopefully get his career back on track uh, when he enters free agency at the end of the season but yeah overall uh, disappointing I know, for him to end up in this situation but hopefully he can get back to at least some of the form that he had uh, at, at his peak a few years ago. We have a couple of injuries as well. So season ender for Miami edge rusher Jalen Phillips. He tore his Achilles and he's gone for the season. They've picked up edge rusher uh, Jason Pierre-Paul. It was a nasty looking injury to Phillips. As you saw his, his, his Achilles just kind of snap. As uh, We've seen it a couple of times this year. Yeah. So Most famously Aaron Rodgers on the exact same field. Not, not great. A couple of other injuries around the league. So Cleveland quarterback DTR is a concussion. He's week to week at the moment. But the indications would point to Joe Flacco being next up, who we discussed hey. last week at length as to why you wouldn't want that but uh, fair enough but it's okay because he won't have his top wide receiver Mary Cooper who has a rib injury and is now week to week and edge rusher Miles Garrett has hurt his shoulder he's day to day but expected to play New Orleans wide receiver Michael Thomas has hurt his knee he's out on IR for at least four games Chris Olavi has a concussion so he's now week to week and Rashid Shahid has hurt his quad and he's day to day so uh, kind of a very 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 reduced wide receiver core in New Orleans Philadelphia defensive lineman Fletcher Cox hurt his groin he's week to week Zach Cunningham the linebacker hurt his hamstring and he's week to week Lane Johnson the offensive tackle hurt his groin he's week to week he missed uh, week 12 on quite short notice and they're hoping to get him back next week and Jacksonville offensive lineman Cam Robinson has hurt his knee and he's off to IR Uh, it's kind of four to six weeks is the expected return date for that hopefully being able to come back for a playoff game for the Jags New Orleans just don't have wide receivers now they've lost their explosiveness certainly with Olave and Shahid I mean anything that, that the Saints were doing in the passing game that was you know actually interesting and long yardage was Alave and Shahid was a, a good guy for converting first downs. So I, it's just the Saints have very little going for them as a team. And now they've just taken away, I think, with these two guys, taken away their, their two best yeah. uh, offensive options for sure. Time for some big Taysom Hill games, I guess. Yeah, basically, yeah. I think they're going to have to lean heavily on what they have left in terms of dynamism. <laughs> they have like the Lions-ish week and the Lions defense has been pretty terrible recently so could have some really dumb stuff happening there but yeah obviously Olave they'd really love to be back but concussion more often than not you're you're out the next week uh, Rashid Shahid sounds like he will play and uh, but he's already a consistent force he's more of an explosive element uh, so probably see more of A.T. Perry who's a young player there and yeah maybe more action from Jawan Johnson 
and Taysom Hill from the tight end position. As for Cleveland, quarterbacks being a bit of a, a merry-go-round. Obviously, they've had the Deshaun Watson. They've tried P.J. Walker. You know, DTR comes in, gets the concussion. He'll probably miss this week. And now, you know, Joe Flacco, who they signed off the street a couple of weeks ago, is now going to be the quarterback. It's not a offense-driven team, and it's a team that would much prefer to run the ball. But I would have concerns over that, particularly Joe Flacco's ball security issues. I think Miles Garrett, it sounds like he's going to play. That's a huge fillip because obviously they're probably going to be leaning that defense to have any chance of getting results over the upcoming weeks. Uh, as for Philly, just a bunch of kind of injuries that have been popping up. And again, Fletcher Cox, Zach Cunningham, Lane Johnson, these are all key guys. Obviously, if they sign Shaquille Leonard, that might alleviate that issue. But yeah, Fletcher Cox, not the same guy he was a few years ago, but definitely an important part of the rotation at the uh, defensive uh, tackle position. And Johnson, obviously key to the offensive line that's made them so good. But I don't know, Philly, just seen the win games no matter what happens. And uh, Jacksonville, Lecam Robinson, uh, missed the first few games through suspension. He's uh, improved things since he's come back, but with the big win they got this week, they probably feel like they can survive. And on that lovely note, let's go and have a look at the games from last week. So first off, Buffalo at Philly, 34-37 to in overtime. Philly could have steal the win here as the rain absolutely comes down and they overcome a 10-point first-half deficit. They got a 59-yard field goal at the end of the game to push it into overtime. There's some fun reporting out there about how Kelsey left so he could go to the toilet so he'd be back in time for overtime uh, so he didn't actually see the, the kick go over. Hertz had an alright enough day now, uh, 265 yards and five touchdowns. He did have an interception and a fumble though, so there were some mistakes mixed in there. He rushed for a TD and response to the field goal and overtime to seal the game up. Bolo are going to be kicking themselves pretty hard because this feels like one that they should have had. They made a couple of mistakes in it. There were some questionable refereeing decisions, we'll say, as well. Josh Allen went for the kind of the meme-based performance, 420 yards, four touchdowns and an interception. And he did, you know, a lot of the Josh Allen heroic stuff that we said we'd rather him not have to do, but they are kind of at that stage of the season, particularly at their record, that they're going to have to just start pulling those things out. But it wasn't just quite enough to get over the edge. So Philadelphia, a good overall performance. There's a couple of injuries coming out of this for them. And again, like it is that thing of it feels like a game they should have lost, but we always say it, the kind of the top end teams, the championship teams, the ones who find a way to, 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 to win it in spots where they shouldn't. And this is definitely one of those. But for Buffalo, it's just, it, it, it feels, feels a tough loss for them. Like they definitely, definitely felt like they were the better team for most of this game. They've been really playing up since they did the kind of swap around at the coaching and stuff like that. Yeah, just not quite enough to get them over the line. Sorry, Marcus. It is one of those games you walk away from and you, you go, wait a second, how the hell did the Bills not win that game? It kind of felt like it, the season in a nutshell for both teams, that the Bills did some good stuff and always looked exciting, but they just seemed incapable of actually scoring enough points to win the game. Allen was... I, I mean, he was great on the ground, the the, the, the kind of the running stuff and, and the option stuff that was quite impactful. He, I think he scored two touchdowns running, but he was through the air, a lot of yardage, but not quite great through the accuracy and a damaging interception in the fourth quarter. As well. It was things like that, like that the, the Bills generally played well, but in crunch moments, they always seemed to fail, whether that be the, the kicker missing from 34 yards and then missing later on again, whether it be the miscommunication between Allen and Davis in overtime over what route. Davis was running when he was clear and, and he would have if he'd caught the ball they would have won the game the defense playing so well it seemed for the first half and, and then when the Eagles started to push them they didn't quite seem to be up to it it's that kind of thing that the Bills are a good team but it kind of feels like when the push comes to shoves they're just not good enough and that's why I think it's got, it kind of looked destined to be a lost season for this team now they're they're 6-6 six and six. I think they're 10th 
in terms of the AFC standings. Even if they'd won the game, they'd only have been the seventh seed. So that's how far they're like. They're like a good two games behind now. And I could see them missing the playoffs, which is a shame because they're obviously a very exciting team and they've been at their best. They're a great team to have in the playoffs, but it doesn't look like it's, it just looks like it's going to be a loss. You'll take your them. Denver Broncos in the playoffs and you'll like oh, No, give me the Bills any day over the Broncos. It's going to be a lost season for them. And then conversely for the Eagles, this season again for them, another championship performance where they looked pretty underwhelming, didn't seem to be going great, especially in the first half, but somehow they just found a way to win. The defense did enough in the first half to hold the Bills to not let them run away with it. And then the second half, everyone kind of stepped up. Thought Jalen Hurts had a really solid second half, and he seemed to be doing an awful lot of things to get going. And they were making plays, and I, get, I think ultimately this is one of those games that comes down to individuals making plays. The Bills did not, the individual Bills players, Allen aside when he was running, did not make game-winning plays, whereas the Eagles were consistently making game-winning plays. I mean, when one guy is making kicks from 60 yards out and the other guy is missing from 34 yards, I mean, in reality, there really only can be one outcome in terms of the game. So the Eagles are still... We're still with these question marks over they're not as good as last year. They certainly don't look as exciting as last year. If they didn't have the touch-push, would they... You know, they might be at 500, the way they seem to rely on that entirely. But they're 10-1, and one, and it's very hard to bet against a team that finds a way to win against absolutely everybody, it seems, even when they don't play well. It definitely feels like it's going to take something monstrous. The Eagles never seem to know when they're beaten. They seem to have that belief that if they just keep playing, that they'll win, because it does seem to be the case that if they keep playing, they'll win. So it's kind of hard to see how they're going to get beaten if they can pull these kind of wins out of these kind of situations. I mean, it's, it's such a bizarre stat that Zach Wilson is the only quarterback who's managed to beat the Eagles. They don't look great, but they're winning games. And the Bills, even when they look great, they don't win. And that just seems to be those two teams. That's just their narratives for this, for this year. It's not about how hard you can get it, it's about how hard you can get it and keep going, you know, right? That's that's the Philly way this this year. And each time it looks like they look like they might get beat, that they're not playing at their best, that they're the team that's making mistakes. They just seem to get away with it. Buffalo were the better team for, for the vast majority of this game. Philly had to rely on some pretty, you know, interesting outcomes, like usually hitting like a 60-yard field goal in the beating down rain. It's not something you can really rely on every week, but hey, it works. And, you know, this team feels hashtag blessed right now in the sense that they just seem to have everything fall their way, except, of course, against the, the God King, uh, <laughs> Zach Wilson. It's one of those games which I think Buffalo will all, all fans will obviously be annoyed about. They, there were all these kind of self-imposed mistakes. You know, as you said, they had two missed field goals. Now, they got away with the, the first field goal because uh, Philly fumbled it back to them and they actually got a touchdown of that, so... On aggregate, they probably ended up being better off of it. But then, yeah, like the midfield goal at the start of the second half was then preceded by, oh, Philly are getting real here. And then Philly actually raced ahead and took the lead. And then you ended up in the classic Buffalo situation where Josh Allen has had to pull out heroics to get them into that situation where they were ahead before the, the, the field goal for Philly in response. And yeah, even within, you know, overtime, you know, you, you were playing really well, you're moving the ball, you, you, you say there's miscommunication and then that opens the door and Philly just uh, basically literally run right through it. Like uh, Jalen Hurts, he's actually running despite the fact that his knee is obviously quite gamey, it's not quite where it needs to be, but still willing and able to run when it's necessary and that's just the level of kind of clutch that he has, whereas the fireworks from Josh Allen are always really impressive, but, are, you know, and they're showing up 
enough times at the end to keep them in the game, but they're not showing up at the times that they need to win the game. It was a little bit interesting that at the very end of the game, they had like 20 seconds. I realize that's not a lot of time, but, you know, given their own history, you thought maybe they'd try something, but, you know, they chose to take it away, to take it over time. And I think that's just kind of a sense that, you know, I think there has to be questions asked about the Sean McDermott regime. It's, he's obviously a really good coach. This is obviously a really good team, but things have fallen just against them. They've been very unclutched. This is the, you know, they've still failed to win in overtime. I think in the Josh Allen era, it's just like there's big questions about this team in terms of their upper level. And now, of course, there's even, you know, there's a high probability they won't even make the playoffs. So real deep soul searching for this team, I feel, for the rest of the season, even if they make the playoffs as a wild card. But certainly the most likely scenario, they lose either the Chiefs or the Dolphins in their back end and they're out. But for Philly, you know, everything's everything's going fine for them. They'll they'll keep going, but uh, they do have some tough tests ahead. So we'll see if their their luck will keep up against those other teams, uh, particularly next week's uh, matchup with be an interesting test of their of how much they can get away with on a week-to-week basis jacksonville houston up next 24 to 21 jacksonville now have control of the afc south as amandola's 58 yard field goal goes off the crossbar to stop a exciting comeback for stroud he had 351 yards and three touchdowns he had some very explosive plays some really just pinpoint accurate ones but there was some interesting decision making from the coaches we'll say on this there's a couple of like oh we've got a fourth down let's go for a super duper deep shot and things like that that just didn't really make a lot of sense there was lower variance plays that were available to them that they could have gone to and they probably would have gotten the results they wanted but they seem to just want more and I don't know again if that's coming purely from the coaches or as we've seen the last couple of weeks Stroud has been pushing it a little bit more and taking slightly riskier shots in that so we'll, we'll see as it progresses still a great day from like we said rookie 351 yards and three touchdowns Lawrence had 364 yards two touchdowns and interception and was overall pretty much solid with that obviously the mistake being the interception it was an interesting enough matchup it was quite exciting it was quite tight I don't think either team showered themselves in glory in this one like I think it seemed exciting but scrappy for the most part was kind of the the vibe I got off it the Jacksonville defense did well they had four sacks and five tackles for a loss and they really kind of just got up in Stride's face and caused him problems down at the tail end to try and close out the game so it was you know very positive signs from Jacksonville because this is a very good offense in Houston and they they I think they were down brown in this game but they did still have you know the other young guys Nico Collins and uh, Tank Dell and stuff going off for them but they and Jacksonville got a, a nice mixture they were using a good lot of receivers so they weren't just kind of we didn't have one of those kind of zero catch Ridley games which is <laughs> always a positive sign to see but you would think against uh, it's a Houston defense that it's fine but not amazing there's a lot of untested elements in it a lot of youth in it that should be a bit more exploitable you would have liked to have seen Jacksonville be a bit more explosive in the game you'd like to have seen them put up a few more points frankly if I'm honest it's it's a good win you got it done you're on the road against a divisional rival like it's always going to be tough it's a good portent of games to come in the AFC South as you said we've got this plus we've also got Indianapolis due to get their quarterback back next year yeah overall a very good win for Jacksonville for the Houston side they just came up a little bit short and I would start to just kind of dial it back a little bit more back to basics don't do too much they could have put themselves in a winning position if they had not tried to go for it all all the time Boo this man. Boo him. You're completely... I don't want them to be good yet. Like, they're going to be good for a while. Like, CJ Stroud is the truth. I think we're all pretty much on the same uh, page for that. But this version of the Texans is obviously just version 1.0. It's like a beta version of what this team will hopefully become. But, you know, right now, they're extremely 
young. It's basically a bunch of like leftover veterans and then lots and lots of rookies. And, you know, it's working and it's exciting. And, you know, there are obviously lessons that they'll learn from this game. Like maybe, you know, they don't have to go for deep shots all the time on fourth down. It's cool when it works, to be fair. But yeah, Dalton Schultz on a deep shot in fourth down, maybe not the best move. But it's a team that like no one expected to do anything this year, but is very much still a favorite in the wildcard hunt. So I want them to kind of go for excitement. I think that kind of catches the lightning of what they have in CJ Stroud, where no matter what the deficit is, no matter, you know, if he's made a mistake or, you know, if the, if the other team is racing away, you never feel like you're out. This guy just energizes them and you can just feel the energy across this team that they like they actually believe. And of course, they, I suppose they don't know anything else except for winning. And CJ Stroud is making guys like Tank Dell and Nico Collins into superstars already in their young careers, especially Tank Dell. So for me, yes, they could be smarter. And like they had their own mistakes here. Obviously, they had a turnover. They missed some field goals. They had 12 man on a punt, which I caused them to burn a timeout, which they very much would have liked to have. And they got sacked on the final drive, which then allowed, when Strad was running around a lot, um, which kind of why they had to go for the field goal, which like I personally probably just would have given the Strad anyway, even on a, a fourth and long, just because I, you know, giving it to Amandola, a guy you've signed off the street whose longest is like less than 50 yards in his career, like this type of kick didn't make any sense to me. But, you know, I, I get it. Like you move forward and you move on. And like it's a shame because, of course, this win would have set you up to take the AFC South in your first year as a contender and that would have been amazing but the, the future is so bright that I think you can uh, put it aside. I think Jacksonville actually they did a good job on defense in particular you know they had that blowout uh, against San Francisco a few weeks ago but I think they reasserted in the last couple of weeks that you know this defense is actually I don't know if it's great but it's certainly good. They sacked Strad a lot of times they got four sacks they they, they kept the run relatively limited here at least from the running backs and I think overall they, they kind of got up the power again and I think the interesting thing was that they were very much not trying to pressure Strad in a lot of plays with a lot of plays where they seemed to go you know three men on the line uh, and then everyone else in coverage kind of similar to what Cincinnati did against the Chiefs uh, back in the playoffs a couple of years ago and it kind of worked and it didn't work like there was definitely plays where Strad was just running around running around and then there was basically coverage stacks coming in but there was a couple of occasions where he you know basically did bullshit his way to a touchdown I think the Tankdale one in particular stands out so overall I think Jacksonville they're the mature they're much further along in their process of being a contender and this is a really important win to get established in 2023 they still are just about the best team in their division and that if they can just be a little bit better on offense that they could be a genuine contender at the top because I still felt like Trevor Lawrence this was one of his better games and you did see those rope throws as I said about the game that we saw live in London when he throws it like well on good platform it is it a rope it is amazing arm talent it is amazing accuracy but just too many times he looks a little bit hesitant too many times he's a step or two behind where the play should be and a, a, a touchdown begging to happen if it was timed up well and he was just on rhythm falls a foul so it's just they still have that little bit of weakness i feel on offense they don't have quite that that rhythm west coast type offense for lack of a better term uh stuff down but you know all the things that do work are working well enough travis at the end you know he didn't do great here but he's a he's a factor on both sides of the ball and he did but yeah you're seeing Ridley you're seeing Kirk get involved and you know Engram getting involved and that's all helping so you know Jacksonville I'm not convinced that they've suddenly you know taken that next step up that I thought this game if they won would have happened but I think they show that they are a legitimate power and that uh, they, 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 they deserve respect uh, if we're not perhaps our love yet but uh, the Texans team is a team that I feel once again it, it maybe not this year but in future years could it feels like a trajectory that is going to outpace this Jacksonville team very very quickly. Yeah, I, I don't think you can understate just how 
important a win this is for the Jags, just in terms of laying down a marker, establishing themselves as the big dogs in the division, because they were having a bit of a uh, middling kind of last few weeks. Things were something's going well, something's going badly, and when the Texans were going on their run, and everyone was talking about Stroud, and it really looked like the Texans were coming for their crown, and the Jags, which have have gone so long without having a good team, have finally have a team that's good enough to dominate the division, and suddenly this superstar rookie quarterback turns up and takes it away from them almost straight away. So I th- it was very important that the Jags established themselves, especially on the road in Houston, that they were still the guys to beat, and they did. It was very impressive on both sides of the ball from the Jags. One of the best offensive performances of the season, bar none. They really stepped up when they needed to. Lawrence was in the zone in a way you don't normally always see him. Ridley has really kind of stepped up in terms of the WR1, uh, and it was really impressive. And, uh, and as, as Ron has already talked about, the, the defense was kind of smart. Had they dealt with Stroud, it wasn't continuous pressure, but there was definite problems being caused by the D-line. And in particular, they managed to get two big sacks on Stroud in the final drive that kind of killed the momentum in terms of them getting down the field, maybe score a touchdown or an easier field goal. So really for the Jags, the Texans came for the king, but they but they missed, right? The, the, the Jags still stand as the big dogs in the AFC South. And given the way the season was going, there was, that was definitely not a guarantee. But it definitely looks like they've established themselves as the power in that division for at least another season. I mean, the Texans are going to keep coming at them for as long as Stroud is with them. On the Houston side, yeah, I, I think we do need to, you know, take a step back and realize that this Texans team has come from absolutely nowhere and is really exciting. But the inexperience, I think, you did see it in this game that when the, the chips were down and they needed to kind of pull off the victory, they, they, just, they just made a couple of small mistakes here and there. The fact that Stroud allowed himself to get sacked twice in a final drive when maybe a more experienced quarterback would have found a way to get the ball away, not lose those yardage, not have to spend timeouts, etc., etc. Like, it's those little things that sometimes at the end of games that someone like a Brady or a Peyton Manning or someone, they, they wouldn't have done that where Stroud is, is because he's still a rookie. So we need to accept that. You know, but the talent is there, no question in terms of Stroud, obviously, and, and Tank Dell looks so good. And, you know, Nico Collins is really evolving into a passing option. So there's definitely a lot a lot to look forward to from the Texans, but you can see they're not quite there yet. Do you think their defense was maybe not quite what it needed to be? They, they allowed the, the Jacks to kind of run the show a little bit on that side of the ball. There was the pass rush in particular disappointed. There was no real pressure on Lawrence uh, at any real moment. They kind of felt that, at least on the defensive side, that they missed their opportunity because the Jacks were never really looked like they were in too much trouble in this game. They always seem to be able to be able to score the points when they needed to. We need to look at the Texans as a, a very exciting work in progress, but still a work in progress, no less. They'll be fun to watch them. But like I talked about the Lions back at the start of this season, like one of the... Th- the things that's going to be really fun about this team is how flawed they are, which means they're not going to win every week. And it's going to be very much you get to watch this team try and figure out things as they as they go forward. And especially watch Stroud as he evolves into the elite passer we're all always going to be. And then for the Jags, it, it looks like they've established themselves as you know, maybe the third, fourth best team in the AFC. So kind of coming out of this and kind of happy with where both teams are, that the Texans made it competitive, but we know what we know they're still evolving. Whereas the Jags, they got the win that they had to, and they looked as dominant as perhaps they needed to in terms of establishing themselves uh, as the power in the division. I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to how both of these teams fare down the stretch. 
Uh, next up, Cleveland at Denver, 12-29. to Denver get a big win for their wildcard hopes as Russell Wilson, two touchdowns, 168 yards. So his yardage is down a bit this week. Keeps the scoreboard going on and lets the run game do most of the damage as the Cleveland defense that has been dominant in keeping them in games for this whole season was kept relatively quiet. On the other side of the ball, this kind of resurgent Denver defense as we've talked about for a couple of weeks now, had a big day. Three fumbles, four sacks, three tackles for a loss. They just did a very good job. Now, look, this is a... Cleveland offense that is, you know, going to struggle against a low-end defense alone, a, a decent one given the injuries that they have. But DTR had 155 yards and a touchdown before the concussion. Walker was kept quiet as well. And their run game was fine. 16 attempts for 87 yards. Maybe they needed to lean on that a little bit more. They tried to get a little toy, like they, they did the trick play that had the fumble late in the game and so on. Like it was just, it was a Cleveland team that could see the writing was on the wall that they were not going to be able to win this game and just tried to, you know, throw some paint at the wall, see if something sticks. And you can't really, you can't really blame them too much for that this Denver team is kind of turning into a little bit more of a force to be reckoned with its defense really has turned a corner and is looking a lot better it is it's kind of funny we always kind of laughed about you know Sean Payton essentially just wanting to you know hire his players from the Saints and just build the Saints again like this this defense is looking a bit more like the Saints defenses of before like it's, it's really kind of rounding into form the offense was a little bit lackluster but again it wasn't a game that felt like they had to pull out all the stops for it Russell Wilson was under 200 yards but had two touchdowns they never really felt in too much of a risk in this game maybe that's kind of what you need to do at home against this Cleveland team is just like keep your powder dry store your stuff up for the bigger games they'll have to have probably something a little bit more creative they'll probably need to get more explosive for that type of game whereas they didn't really need to here for Cleveland this is kind of this shows that probably that hope they had for maybe still being able to work their way into a wild card spot from their position and maybe it'll all be all right is maybe not there I don't know if DTR being in for the whole game would have made a massive difference to them really I think they were shorthanded and they just weren't able to really get anything going now we'll see in future weeks if that was because of you know how good this defense in Denver has gotten for now this looked like two teams going in polar opposite directions Denver driving towards a possible playoff berth and Cleveland kind of folding in on themselves the comparative to the the previous game we talked about really illustrative like the Jags and the Texans I'm looking forward to watching these guys these teams go down the stretch and particularly the playoffs Browns and Broncos they both could probably make the playoffs but I don't want to watch either of these teams they're really not fun watch whatsoever and the the fact that the Broncos keep winning games when they they don't really ever play well I I personally find it so incredibly frustrating that this team is is doing well and seems to be getting better as as the weeks go on like they seem to really whatever Sean Payton he's he's crafting something really interesting he's he's not got an awful lot of talent or or great pieces to work with but he's maximizing everything that he has and he's got a solid game plan on both sides of the ball and they're doing just enough to win every game and it kind of feels like they're going to be an awful team to have to play because they, they really drag you down into the mud and make you play the game at their level. Like offensively, I thought it was, I, I know it didn't look spectacular, but offensively, I thought they were quite smart in this game because the, the Browns' big thing defensively is their, is their aggression. And what the Broncos did early was just kind of completely neutralize that. Lots of screen passes, lots of run pass options, lots of traps, basically trying to show the Browns, you can't bully us, uh, kind of making them step back a bit. And then they were able then to, to kind 
kind of lean into the, the run game. Nothing fancy about it, but they executed well. They were able to get some of their, their wide receiver options going. Marvin Mims is having a good season, kind of getting uh, a lot of targets. And it was just they were able to work out a way, okay, here's where the Browns are going to cause us problems. Let's find a way to neutralize that, get it game on our terms, and then grind the game out from there. And it worked, right? And it, it's a blueprint that certainly is going to get them a lot of wins, and and it's difficult. I can certainly see them being a wildcard team. I mean, you got to give credit to Sean Payton for what he's doing. God, it's ha- it's really not that fun, much fun to watch. And I really don't want them to be one of these teams that maybe goes on a run and ends up in a championship game because they're incapable of losing games because that would not be fun uh, whatsoever. In terms of the Browns, again, I mean, it's very hard morally to che- cheer for this team even without Deshaun Watson there. Their defense is good, but I, as as I said, they maybe can get outplayed a little bit in terms of in terms of the schemes and such like. I do wonder if Kevin Stefanski sometimes gets the galaxy brain stuff and being like I am the smartest guy here I'll do some really mad shit and it will work and it, and it didn't at all I was very surprised to see how much they leaned on the pass game versus the run game given that the Broncos run defense is the, the weakest part of their team and they just didn't exploit it all that much they were willing to pass the ball all that much they got hurt an awful lot by they fumbled the ball like five times or something uh, losing it three times in the course of the game uh, big execution problems but I think the biggest issue that the Browns made they have going down stretches injuries they're starting to become a team in which injuries just start to pile up one on top of the other and we've seen it in past years with teams like the, the 49ers for, for example it doesn't really matter how good your team is at a certain point the injuries are just going to defeat you and in this game you know they lost ETR they lost Cooper Miles Garrett was in a sling some of these players will be back next week some of them won't and it's it's it just kills momentum and gets anything going Obviously, the Browns going forward, if they are going to not completely just become a run team, which they definitely could do, they're going to need to find a solution at quarterback. And we, I don't think Joe Flacco is his solution, but he's better than PJ Walker. That's for damn sure. Um, <laughs> oh, so maybe... Be careful about that kind of statement. Like... <laughs> maybe that's the way to go with them. Again, I, I would, would much rather watch a Jags Texans team than either of these two teams but I feel like we're going to be seeing both of them in January and the way things are going at the moment I think the Broncos are the team you'd want to play less because they seem to know what they're doing they're not a good team but they seem to know how to how to grind you down and beat you on their level and it's going to it's not a, it's not a fun team to watch and it certainly is not a fun team I imagine to play against but uh, they got all the momentum I think five five in a row now they've won could be hard to stop them and for the Browns until the quarterback situation gets solved in some way it's so hard to know how good this team is they've got a really good defense but they have to produce offensively if this team is going to continue to win games New Orleans Atlanta up next 15 to 24 Atlanta take lead in the NFC South after a bit of a bizarre game from both teams it was very hot and cold flashing across everyone Ritter had 198 yards a touchdown and two interceptions where he had a couple of like really solid good plays and then also just oh I've forgotten how to play football I'm going to make some mistakes as well thankfully Arthur Smith decided to not go galaxy brain as Sean would say and decided he should just use Bijan Robinson a lot so Bijan had 123 yards and two touchdowns and kind of kept them steady kept them scoring and got them through to the end of this day Carr had 300 yards and an interception which is a very Derek Carr kind of line so they got a couple of really big plays done and it all looked great and then they just couldn't figure out what what they were doing in the red zone at all they're 0 5 in the red zone including a pick six and a fumble in the red zone so it was just messy and look like we said there's 
players injured, the wide receiver core is not at 100% and that, but like, you can't be trying to win games like that. Like, who do you think you are? You are, you're not going to win with just field goals. Only one team is allowed to do that every week. And uh, it is not them this week. That is Chicago. Yeah, no, like Atlanta, I'm, I'm so confused about what they should do at the quarterback position because Ritter's there and he's kind of solid enough and Heineke is the other option. It's just like, neither of them ex- inspire massive confidence in me, you know? But I suppose it's the, the chance of explosiveness versus the the lack of explosiveness, but maybe a higher floor in Heineke. I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure, to be honest. But it's good that he didn't overthink it and just decided to feature the run game because Bijan had a big game, but they also then like they used Corderell Patterson to good effect in, in, in kind of spot work and kind of getting him to crunch out some yards and then they also used uh, yeah so they used him then particularly at the tail end of the game to try and grind out clock and a couple of tough yards and just kind of get themselves over the line and it worked like like it's not the most exciting kind of football to watch it'll have fans of the team tearing their hair out given the draft capital that's gone on tight end and wide receiver but look if it works it works and this is a new orleans defense that was letting them have the run so why not have the run and they were having you know a lot of mistakes in their past game so why would you lean on that like just go for this their defense did a decent enough job although i do feel that a lot of the red zone stuff was self-inflicted by new orleans rather than necessarily a scheming thing done by atlanta so i can't give them full credit for that but you know overall a steadying the ship move for atlanta they are now uh, at the moment top of their division so they'd be in the playoffs and I think, like I said this from the get-go, I think they were my wild card pick for, for, for the playoffs. I said, if they could figure it out, they could be quite exciting in it. Now, this current form isn't the most exciting, but if they could take this as a base and build from here, they could be onto something that's a little bit more fun. I think the biggest problem is just their head coach likes to think he's the smartest man in the room and will just do stupid things to try and prove a point that he's right and other people are wrong. That's their biggest risk. For New Orleans, their risk is the fact that they don't really have... A quarterback, they're paying loads of money to Carr and he's not it. They're paying less money to Winston and he's not it. All their wide receivers are injured. Like, New Orleans are rudderless. Atlanta, they've got a semblance of a of an identity now, at least, I think. And it's just to see if they can keep that going into the next couple of weeks. If Jacksonville-Houston represents the hope in AFC side that's been bad for a long time, then this game represents the continuing despair of the <laughs> NFC South uh, ever since Drew Brees retired, basically. Because if there was a mistake to be found, both these teams were like, let's go make that mistake. And the only good thing done by either team was that Arthur Smith actually gave the ball to Bijan Robinson. And as you said, then gave a bit more to uh, Cordell Patterson and Tanya Leggier down the stretch. And look, Arthur Smith can play football if he just pretends he's still with the Titans and he just has three Derrick Henrys instead of one Derrick Henry and just kind of spreads it out to them evenly. He might just be ran randomly selecting them each week like a lucky dip or he's a random number generator and it's like okay Bijan you're you're on this drive because it doesn't make any sense why you wouldn't just give the ball to your you know star running back unless he's got you know he certainly didn't have any issues with having a bunch of carriers in college so it really makes sense and look Allegier is a good player and Patterson are good players so you want to mix them in but I don't know it doesn't really make sense but I suppose what makes even less sense is like Desmond Ritter who plays okay at the start of this game gets a few nice throws to, to Drake London who, who you know this week was picked out of him and Pitts to have a good game but then when the chips are down and when, when they're in scoring position uh, for one of them like yeah, just throw a bad interception 
And that's just been the Ritter experience. And it was also the Taylor Heineke experience. And Heineke just happens to get injured more often. And Ritter is hung around long enough to, to get the chance to be the quarterback, quote unquote, for this team. But it doesn't make any sense uh, for this team overall. The offense is just bewildering. I, I still would probably, even if they make the playoffs and do stuff in the, in the playoffs, I would probably still rather fire Arthur Smith because there's a version of this team that could be one of the more exciting offenses in the league. But this ain't it, Chief. And, you know, the only other thing that makes sense about the Atlanta Falcons is, is signing Jesse Bates in the offseason. He hasn't showed up in every game, but the games that he does show up, he tends to make a big splash. In this game, he gets that pick six early on, which kind of completely turns the tide after the Saints looked like they were marching down. He also gets another fumble at the end of the third quarter. Literally at the end of the third quarter, Taysom Hill takes it for a rush and he punches it out and then cut the commercial almost like it was like a comedy skit. Which, to be fair, it's appropriate because this New Orleans team are a goddamn comedy skit. Uh, this entire NFC side is a fucking comedy skit. Like Carr, as you said, over 300 yards again. He's he's working out there. He's getting those explosive plays, but you can't trust him. You can't can't trust him when the chips are down on key downs you can't trust them you can't trust them not to throw another interception and you can't trust just this team on offense to not find some way to screw up five field goals in this game five trips to the red zone and you're letting five field goals atlanta near you know basically have as many points from the red zone your red zone trips as you do like that's what is happening in this division? I, I literally, literally getting headaches during this game just every time it brought it, it, it popped up and I had to think about it. So, like, look, like this just makes this division even stupider because now both Atlanta and New Orleans are are equally on five and six. Atlanta obviously have the head to head based in this game. Uh, Tampa Bay are one game behind. So, like, we're ha- going to have to keep talking about this division and these teams. Tampa Bay, at least, I got some respect from because they're like they're scrappy and you know Baker and stuff. But these two teams, you know, they're just dumb. I, I realize we're going to have to talk about them because they're NFC side, but these teams belie analysis did they just find ways to lose and win in perplexing ways and yeah i just don't see the growth in either that makes me feel that they're actually going to turn it around and turn it into something coherent because all the pieces are there for both of these to be relatively coherent teams but they just seem to be allergic to going in that direction not the not the best division in football say <laughs> finally let's have a look at the green bay packers taking on the detroit lions on thanksgiving in a big surprise upset game green bay are now entering the wildcard picture for the NFC following this after kind of a shocking beatdown of the Detroit Lions. Uh, Jordan Love went for 300 yards and three touchdowns. Just kind of showed up a Detroit defense that's just not really been showing up at all of late. They had zero turnovers or sacks in this game. Kind of Green Bay set out their stall early. They they opened the game with a 53-yard pass play. They just said, we think you're weak in the secondary, so we're just going to start throwing it. And it worked pretty well for them. Watson had 94 yards and a touchdown. He was their top receiver on it. But yeah, overall, like they just kind of, they got out to the races and they were battering them. Like this, the, the final scoreline of this flatters Detroit because this was not, at any point, did this even feel like a one-score game in it. Goff had another weird game for him another one of the old school Jared Goff ones so he kind of overall it balances out a little bit he ended up with 332 yards two touchdowns and three interceptions but like he was just doing what he did the last week and popping out interceptions early and putting themselves deep down into a hole and unfortunately they just didn't have the ability to get out of it their offense got moving a little bit again but like I said their defense was just a nothing burger in this game they were doing absolutely nothing and the Green Bay defense stepped up really really good like it was yeah, it was just very, very impressive. We've talked about this Green Bay team a little bit this season. We said, look, they were underwhelming to start the year. They looked like they hadn't quite gotten to grips with it, that Jordan Love maybe wasn't quite running the offense right. But it seems that they've kind of turned it on. They're humming a little bit more. They've got 
production coming from multiple wide receivers. They've got the run game back a little bit, although I think Aaron Jones is back out injured again at this stage. But from the Detroit side, this is not what you like to see. Like last week, they made mistakes, they got down, but then they battled back and they got back into it. And that was great. And this one, they just, it was like they hadn't, couldn't find the gear in the car that they were just stuck in this kind of plodding mistake ridden non-explosive kind of football and their defense just didn't feel like it was even on the field so Detroit need to sit back reassess and figure out what's gone wrong it was last year they kind of uh, I think you mentioned this last week Sean that they kind of they turned it around the back half of last year and that turnaround was focused heavily on the defense coming together and kind of starting to starting to operate at a bit of a higher level and that needs to happen again because you can't be allowing points like this and you can't be allowing straight off the bat to be giving up big pass plays like this and look they are not the most talent rich defense they need additional people different spots and they're not going to get it this year so they need to figure out a scheme that's going to work for them because this is a Detroit team that has has the talent to be able to go all the way if they wanted we've seen how good their offense can be whenever it's firing it hasn't been really firing for the last week or two but the defense needs to get it together because you can't be dropping games particularly games at home to the likes of Green Bay if you want to be considered a proper contender at the top end of the NFC. When the Lions got blown out by the Ravens like four or five weeks ago, I kind of just dismissed it as, you know, a bad day the offense and they'll, they'll get past it. Then they, this fell into a shootout with the Chargers where the defense couldn't stop anyone. And I was like, well, it was just a shootout and Herbert will always pull it, his team into a shootout. So maybe the, the Lions could be forgiven that. And then when they just about scraped past the Bears last week because of some last minute heroics, I was getting a little worried, but it was like, you know, they won. That's the main thing. But this is, this is where we might need to start talking talking about I don't know if crisis is too strong a word but certainly there are some serious questions that need to be asked about this Lions team because they've done this amazing job of making us believe that they are an elite team by how well they've played at, at various points this year but they are the flaws are still very much evident and are becoming more evident by the week this defense is, has completely devolved back to where they were at the start of last season when they were giving up 30 points a game and they didn't look like they could stop anyone it, it really is is a huge problem but now it also feels like the offense is beginning to, to lose a little bit of its shine and we're starting to see old school Jared Goff come back with the mistakes and everywhere and you're starting to, to wonder is it a self-belief thing is this team entirely built around Dan Campbell's energy and therefore when they're in the zone they're going to beat everyone up and they're going to look the most exciting team in the world but when the wheels start to come off they're all going to come off very quickly because this was not a game they should have lost I thought I said in the previews last week I thought they would dominate this game and put on a real show for Thanksgiving but instead they really look like the old Detroit Lions and that's not a good a good look to have things that need to improve the defense just in general needs to do better particularly the secondary as you said, they got torn open in the passing game very early here. They, they missed C.J. Gardner-Johnson, and they're going to have to find some sort of solutions back there to fix things. Jared Goff is making terrible mistakes this week. It was fumbles rather than interceptions, but he's putting his team into a hole. And the problem is that, yes, they can have mega comebacks like they did against the Bears, but you can't do that every week. And if your quarterback is going to put you in a situation where you're very liable to be down two touchdowns early, you're going to lose more games than you win. And, and Goff needs 
chance to find that groove. One of the things that Goff had done in the last 18 months was to remove the mistakes from his game, not make stupid decisions, take what was given to him because he has the talent around him that he can l- allow this, the skilled players, the Amon Ross, the, the Sam Laporta's, the, 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 the running backs, to, to just do a lot of the work for him and all he's got to do is manage that situation. But now it just feels like he's he's gotten into his own head a little bit about, about what he's doing and he's making the same kind of mistakes uh, again. So there, there's huge problems there on both sides of the ball that are emerging and this team is I think it's still like eight and three or something they're still like at top of their division and then they're you know second or third their third seed in, in the NFC so they're still in a very strong position and they're strong favorites to win their division or at least make the playoffs even by a wild card but they're not going to go very far in January or February if they start if they keep playing like this and we maybe even need to start talking about Dan Campbell and his I know this is probably going to be come across as sacrilege but was he maybe too aggressive on fourth down here uh, I mean with the fake punt <laughs> you know going for it five times on fourth down is is probably at least three times too many you know you gotta be you gotta be careful about when you when you do that because when it doesn't work like situations like this you end up giving the ball to the your opponents with better field position than they otherwise would have and that allows them to see you know, maybe score field goals when they otherwise wouldn't or score touchdowns when otherwise would have scored field goals. So a lot of problems there in the Lions and they've got to start fixing that if they want to be the contender that we all believe they can be. In terms of the Packers, it's yeah, I mean, all credit to them. This was a great performance. Jordan Love kind of looked like week one Jordan Love. Do we remember week one when Jordan Love had a great game against the Bears <laughs> and everyone was going like, oh, they've they found a new Aaron Rodgers already. How lucky are the Packers? And then it kind of the wheels fell off for like 10 weeks. They kind of felt like he's getting back into that groove and as you said, the wide receivers are beginning to figure out their particular role and do their job and the running game seems to be clicking and it certainly seems offensively if they they got a good start in this game and it kind of feels like if they can start games well and they can build up leads and that is a kind of a blueprint for how this Packers team can win because it seems like sometimes they get dragged down into into scrap scrappy battles with teams and Jordan Love is not that kind of quarterback he needs to have kind of a clean situation where he knows what he's doing and everything feels to be going right and then you got to give credit also for the defense Four defensive stops on fourth down, very crucial in a situation where you're trying to stop a team, get momentum in terms of comeback. The pass rush did an awful lot of damage, getting tons of pressure on Goff, causing uh, you know two fumbles, uh, among other things. It certainly does seem to be coming together on the Packers' side. I don't know if they necessarily have the talent to cause not a, an awful lot of damage when it comes to, say, the playoffs, if they squeeze in as a seventh seed, which they might do. I don't know if they're going to really ruffle a San Francisco or, or a Philadelphia or anything like that. But given where this project looked like it was going to be when Rodgers left and the whole thing seemed to fall apart, they're certainly better than we thought they would be. And they're certainly competitive. And maybe in Jordan Love, they do have the long-term answer that they can work towards. So, yeah, it, it looks positive for the Packers. I'm not entirely certain how great this season will end up for them but it certainly looked like they're in a good place with the Lions I mean they really got to start fixing these problems because this is not just two or three bad weeks this is getting to be four or five weeks in a row where the same problems are cropping up again and again and this team is going to find themselves in a scrap for either their division or they're going to sooner or later or they're going to end up getting beaten in the wild card by some team who comes into them and destroys them because this is not playoff winning football by any stretch of the imagination and the Lions are a team with the talent level they should be winning looking to win playoff games this season yeah well, as we say all games are important just some are less important and Fitz is a big fan of those so we're going to give them to him in the dump off 
Welcome to the dump off for week 12. A lot of bad games, but uh, some okay games as well. And we'll start off with those. Uh, Pittsburgh at Cincinnati, 16 to 10 win for Pittsburgh. Kind of felt inevitable despite Pittsburgh. Many mistakes, including an early fumble in the red zone. Uh, they were only one and four in the red zone overall, but the offense was gaining yards. Uh, over 400 yards immediately after firing Matt Canada. So it was all Matt Canada's fault. Well done. Pickett was solid. Uh, nearly 300 yards, so no touchdowns. Harris rumbled for nearly 100 yards and a touchdown. He had contributions from Pat Fryermoot and Jalen Warren as well. And the Cincinnati defense was okay, but you know they had to do more here to make the impact plays if they're going to support this ailing offense. Obviously, no Joe Burrow, so you had Jake Browning in there. 236 yards, a touchdown interception. Solid, boring. He had that one pick, but otherwise wasn't too bad. But there was just a complete lack of explosive plays. Like their two most explosive plays were like tipped passes that some handed in, in Jamar Chase's hands and he took them for like over 10 yards. So, you know, it's a hard way to, to make to, to win games and it wasn't enough here. The lack of run game from Joe Mixon is also a major concern if they're going to get out of the hole, but they're pretty much on life support now. They'd have to win out to have a chance at playoffs. Big win for Pittsburgh, uh, stay well, it's gone from the wildcard hunt. Baltimore at the Chargers, 20 to 10. Uh, Sunday Night Football, Baltimore are now the number one overall seed, maybe because they hadn't had their buy yet. They needed a Flowers touchdown here late, a rush touchdown to, to kill the contest, uh, thanks in part to Justin Tucker missing a 44-yard field goal. Obviously, he's completely washed. Lamar mostly actually kept in check by this uh, Chargers defense, which is surprising. You know, maybe the Chargers defense will do things. It doesn't matter now because they have seven losses and are pretty much eliminated. Chargers, once again, will rue their own mistakes. They had a fumble for Eckler and Allen and Herbert, the three superstars, the three guys you're supposed to rely on, and those all in up being key in preventing you know some okay play uh, leading to any actual points herbert obviously once again rushed for nearly 50 yards he, he had two turnovers so it wasn't great but he's pretty much the only thing trying to make this thing work yeah like it's a lost season and you kind of feel like staley will probably be gone the only reason he mightn't be is because the owner's so cheap next up chicago minnesota monday night football a weird strange game the you know, momentum uh, in Minnesota is definitely petering out. The uh, Pasternak Dobbs crash landed here with four interceptions and he missed an open, wide open pass to Addison that was all over Twitter as well. And he just looked tentative all game, just didn't really seem to know what he's saying. And to be fair, kind of expect that given, you know, brought in a couple of weeks ago, it doesn't know the scheme, but I suppose early expectations have been heightened by what happened in that first game. Minnesota, they, they were fine and they actually got the one touchdown off of Fields fumble uh, that got them lead here, but Fields... You know, he made the big clutch play to Moore, who was over 100 yards. He did fumble the ball twice. He did rush for 60 yards. So it was overall a very strange outcome. I don't think people were very high on him, but he made the play when it mattered. And to be fair, he was kind of felt like he was getting fucked over by his offensive coordinator, who had so many goddamn screens because they had some you know, issues early on and it's just like, okay, the way to beat the blitz from Brian Flores is to screen and it's just like, screen, 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 every type of screen you've ever seen, like it's more screens than the woodshed. So it's just a situation where, I don't know, extremely conservative and the fact that Fields was able to air it out late on, maybe, you know, maybe give him something else to do. But hey, they got the win and for all that matters, it kind of just makes their pick worse. But yeah, a team that relies on like uh, four field goals to win. Probably not in the best of fitter. Tampa Bay and Indianapolis 2027. Indianapolis, they gotta held Tampa Bay at bay for most of this game. Minshew looked better coming out of the bye after a couple of poor performances. Touchdown interception, 257 yards. Taylor was solid here, 91 yards and two touchdowns. He injured his thumb but played through it. Uh, hopefully he'll be uh, healthy going forward. Uh, Pittman was most of the pass game, over 100 yards here. But you know, the Tampa Bay team has had a number of injuries and you just didn't look at their kind of the level that they've sometimes played this year. Baker really played through the pain. I mean, he had to leave briefly in this game. Two touchdowns with two turnovers. You know, you gotta give it to Baker. Like, the guy is giving everything out there. And he's part of the reason why they were sticking around this game, despite, you know, getting sacked six times in these turnovers. But, 
you know, you, you have to take the good and the bad with him. He's not like a guy who's going to elevate your, your, your team, but you got to give him respect. And Rashad White, over 100 yards again, that's been a pleasant surprise. So Tampa Bay, you know, they're still alive because NFC South. Kansas City at Vegas, 31-17. Kansas City, maybe they finally figured it out, albeit obviously here against a, a relatively undermanned uh, Vegas defense. They went down by 14 points. You're going, oh, what's happening, Chiefs? And then this raced ahead, basically, especially the second half. Uh, Mahomes, uh, 370 yards and two touchdowns. He's efficient if his receivers catch the ball. It's a very innovative approach. With Rashi Rice particularly showing up nice with a few nice uh, yards after the catch plays in the second half and ending up with over 100 yards. Vegas offense, it ran through Jacobs and it was solid early on. O'Connell was solid early on. Adams was solid early on. But this kind of just fell away in this game after that so uh, an unusual game you know Kansas City maybe they find their, their answers and they'll move forward and maybe it's hard enough to catch for Rashi Rice and, and more Pacheco but uh, yeah they move on and hopefully we'll see more of the real Chiefs uh, rest of the season. San Francisco at Seattle a Thanksgiving night game San Francisco just dominate here in every facet uh, Purdy didn't have to do much he, he actually his biggest contribution was probably throwing the pick six that kept Seattle kind of alive for a brief moment but CMC dominant here again 139 yards to touchdowns 24 to 3 at the half it was already over and they, they, they let up a little bit in the second half Gino dominated by this defense they had two turnovers six sacks five tackles for a loss Seattle weren't even at the races here just a completely different class and very concerning for a team that now is a couple of teams agree they Rams nipping at their heels for that wild card spot Miami at Jets 34 to 13 uh, the uh, Black Friday game and uh, not really much going on here for the uh, Amazon uh, sponsors Miami destroyed the Jets um, it kind of looked like close uh, towards the end of the first half after the Jets defense had got a couple of turnovers but then the Hail Mary it's been called which is yes a pick six off a Hail Mary uh, from Tim Boyle who was terrible this is the only thing that really mattered that completely ended the game as a contest and eventually Hill was over 100 yards Waddle was over 100 yards most was nearly 100 yards and two touchdowns Tim Boyle is bad at quarterbacking we all knew it it's still true and he got some garbage point time time yards to to pad the stats there were less than 100 yards total uh, entering the fourth quarter so yeah Jets very sad I don't know why Aaron Rodgers is talking about coming back well why would you bring him back Washington at Dallas 10 to 45 the other Thanksgiving game uh, they cooked up Washington Dallas um, it was kind of close for a while but then there was a, a failed fourth down conversion and they, they failed three fourth downs in this game and poor play calling to be honest by the enemy uh, despite over 300 yards for, for Howell but this Dallas defense ha had the good of it uh, by the end of the game particularly as the deficit led to more and more risky play uh, culminating into the Ron Bland uh, pick six a record setting fifth pick six for Deron Bland I'm feeling good about my by, by starting him out in the mid-season predictions yeah Dallas their, their offense and their DAC is currently cooking four touchdowns here 341 yards yeah the score Washington defense is an absolute uh, disaster zone uh, it'll be there to see what Dallas up against like better defenses but I think there's still a few games before that will really matter. Rams at Arizona, 37 to 14. Rams get Kyron Williams back from Iowa, and he goes over 200 yards and two touchdowns. That's pretty goddamn impressive, and he's both a runner and a catcher. And that just lets Stafford kind of play at the end four touchdowns here. Though he did throw up interception as well versus Arizona defense that feels like it's trailing off as the season goes on. Kyler does Kyler things, two touchdowns here, but that was basically one early and one at the end when it didn't matter. In between, literally nothing. He's just a very strange quarterback, and I think you know some credit must go to the Donald-led uh, defense. Four sacks, six sacks for a loss. I think they're showing some signs of growth. So for a team now well into the, the wild card hunt, given that the Vikings and Ra and Seahawks are both flailing, some interesting things may be developing here. Carolina at Tennessee, ten to seventeen. Two of our pointless games of the week. That this is a coach firing loss. That's how bad it is. Young once again struggles. Uh, two hundred seventeen yards total. He fumbled the ball. 
yeah, Simmons and Autry seemed to have their way with him with four sacks, nine tackles for a loss. And Levis, you know, kept it clean, at least in this game. Uh, he wasn't great. He wasn't terrible. Bit bad towards the end of the game in terms of his accuracy. Could have made this game a little bit easier on, on Tennessee. But Henry got his two touchdowns. Like, Tennessee are bad, but they're not as bad as Carolina. So I'm sure they'll take that. And finally, the, the, the true, uh, you know, piece de resistance of the... Uh, uh, of the dump off this week. New England at the Giants, as bad as advertised. 7-10 to win for the Giants. Uh, Ryland Shanks, a 35-yard field goal because he's been bad this year, or maybe it's a conspiracy to get a higher pick, uh, I don't know. But yeah, it was it spared the world from overtime, thank God. DeVito actually did some nice things early on. He, he actually got 189 yards and a touchdown. And once again, his, his special skill is to get sacked a lot, but not give the ball away. It, it's like ha like really boring Sam Howell, effectively. When, when you're playing teams this bad, which he has been recently, you can get away with it. Mac, awful, once again, two interceptions, gets benched. Zappy comes in, barely better, gets uh, throws his own interception. Basically, the defense being okay-ish, though. The, the uh, missed tackle on the touchdown was pretty horrific. Rob Andre Stevenson are the only things keeping the New England Patriots from the complete, absolute no-show. But yeah, a very fitting way to end the uh, dump off this week for week 12. So on to week 13. So first up, we have Seattle at Dallas on Thursday Night Football. We've gone for Dallas across the board here. Dallas are at home. They've been playing very well on offense. Their defense has been steadying up quite a lot. So the question is, can the Seattle defense stop the kind of the juggernaut that is Dak and all of these weapons? Uh, Gino has been up and down this season compared to other ones, and particularly he's been a little bit more mistake prone. Obviously, the injury to the arm didn't help. This is you know a tightening window. Dallas are looking in form, but still have accusations of fraud given that they dropped games against bigger teams. Seattle are trying to keep themselves in the playoff hunt as they are currently sitting in the wildcard spots and this would be a big help to them getting through there. The problem is just this Dallas defense against Geno Smith and a poor offensive line. I'm not sure when he doesn't have his time behind there. Not that accurate so far this season so I'm going to have to side with Dallas. What do you guys think? Objectively Dallas should should hammer the Seahawks. The Seahawks have been flailing. They've obviously lost, got absolutely destroyed by San Francisco. They lost against, a, you know, a pretty middling team, even if they're now in the wildcard hunt. Rams team, they've just never really got going this season. The offense has been extremely up and down. And, and to be honest, there's been a lot more downs and ups. So Gino, he's obviously carrying a knock as well. So you'd wonder about his efficiency and accuracy. DK Metcalf's turning into an issue every week in terms of drops and also just being a little bit of an issue doing off the field shenanigans and stuff like that. So like, look, there is a, a route for the Seahawks that they generally are better in prime time, although not recently. And obviously they have all those weapons. Jackson Smith and Jigbed's actually been pretty solid. They hopefully can get some running game out of Zach Charbonne and their defense while it hasn't been great it's certainly you know given the, all the youth and change in the offseason has been showing flashes of being good but you know Dallas they're right now on a heater their offense with Dak has been really finding its groove and in recent weeks not only getting CeeDee Lamb getting hot but also getting uh, Brandon Cooks hot getting Tony Pollard hot and really just looking like maybe not complete but certainly like at the level where maybe we should start taking Dallas serious again and their defense has loads of talent along that defensive line against a poor Seattle offensive line you would expect and get the Geno maybe force uh, some turnovers or at least just kind of keep Seattle in those like long distances that they tend to struggle in so yeah Dallas are a much better team right now so you expect them to get it done so unless there's some kind of Seahawks magic or Dallas just do one of their classic let's screw up Dallas things then it doesn't make sense and yeah Dallas at home in particular uh, I think they're on a pretty long streak of wins, so I don't see why this would be the end of it here. The Thanksgiving game against the Niners, we saw what level the Seahawks are at, and it's decent, but it's not that high, and Dallas at their current state are better than that. And so, yeah, I, I think the, the Cowboys should be comfortable enough here. 
As we always say, being at home on a Thursday night football game is always quite a benefit. On to the early slate. First up, Indianapolis at Tennessee. We've gone for Indianapolis across the board, Sean. The other side of the AFC South, the side we don't want to talk about. The Titans are kind of stuck in neutral. They they looked like Will Levis might have been giving them something earlier in the season, but he seems to have petered out a little bit. They, they're getting Derrick Henry going a little bit, but not an awful lot to get excited about. And the Colts just seem like every time they, they seem to be going somewhere, they get another injury. Uh, now it looks like Taylor is going to be next up on the injury table, and they're going to have to lean on Gardner Minshew, who's fun, but he's flawed. These teams are going to know each other very well because it's a divisional battle, and you might therefore think that maybe defensively Tennessee might have a little bit of an edge here, but we're going for the Colts across the board, I think largely because we trust the Colts' offense to get things done. I think what Minshew can do when he's on his positive play and if Taylor plays, I think there's a lot more on that side of it. Whereas I don't think, in terms of the offense, Will Levis is, is not doing too much, and the Colts' defense is solid enough, and you can't rely on Henry consistently to produce anymore. So I think, in terms of where both these teams are at the moment, I think you've got to give the edge to Indianapolis. But this could very easily turn into a defensive grind. I'm still kind of shocked that they're tech, that they're in the last wildcard spot at the moment, but uh, I don't feel that's going to last. They'll get this win, probably, but I assume there's better tests that will keep them out. Uh, ah, the we'll see, we'll see. Next up, Atlanta, the Jets have gone for Atlanta across the board. Boyle's back at quarterback again, so will he last the game? Would they put in Trevor Simeon? Would they put back in Wilson? We'll see how they kind of get on. This is an Atlanta defense that has had good games and has had bad games, so I suppose we'll see which kind of one we get this time around. We already discussed Ritter earlier today, like it's kind of the, you can get some explosive plays, but he's also a bit mistake prone and this is a New York Jets defense that Tallmark is capitalizing on mistakes and defensive scores to keep them in games and stuff like that. So I'd imagine the game plan here is going to be not, overly dissimilar from what we saw last week and they are just going to try and run the ball a huge amount let Bijan go try and eat clock don't do anything too fiddly this is a like an anemic Jets offense so as long as you can just keep it solid get some points up on the board you should be good so we're going Atlanta across the board that's and why they're going to go really pass heavy in this game yeah you Atlanta. fucking know he will as well <laughs> god their coach is such a moron anyway Let's get on to a good game. Um, Ronan's pick of the week, Denver at Houston. We've gone Houston across the board. I was very close to going Denver on this one, but it's, it's, this is probably more of a wish-casting thing. I'd rather see a fun Houston team in the playoffs than see this Denver team in the playoffs. Large reason why I picked the Texans as well. Like the teams in the, the wildcard hunt, It's I'd probably rather the Texans and the Bills over the Browns, Colts or or Broncos but you know you got to respect the Broncos they've managed to win despite doing weird things despite the fact that Russell Wilson is looking better but it seems to be on efficient short like fields and not really that he's suddenly become like superstar Russell Wilson again you know the real reason why we're picking Houston is because you know any team that has CJ Stroud and the way he's playing similar to the way we felt like when Mahomes came into the Chiefs or Burrow came in for the Bengals just feels like guys with quarterbacks like this should win games especially against these kind of questionable outfits like Denver see this is actually a pretty big test for uh, Stroud the Denver defense is I don't know why or how I'm sure there's someone out there who could explain it better but the defense has really turned the corner uh, in the last month or so and turned into one of the better units in the league they've been getting pressure consistently on opposing quarterbacks they've been getting 
turnovers consistently from opposing quarterbacks and they've generally been playing at a really high level I think to a large extent that that's reflected going with youth and actually investing in, in the people but Vance Joseph's doing a, a solid job there I think the only thing they need to stop doing is to hiring safeties who want to get suspended because the, the replacement safety last week also managed to uh, I don't know if he got thrown out or not but he, he definitely went for the illegal hit penalty and you know Denver's defense it's a good test for Stroud but every test that Stroud's come up against more often than not that he's, he's done the job and of course you know the hope here is that Denver's defensive and if there's one weakness to Denver's defense it's probably still the run defense you saw Cleveland take advantage of that for, for the first parts of the game last week so you know maybe this is a Denver, Devin Singletary game get involved a lot maybe even get Damian Pierce involved a bit and run the ball and then set up that play action set up those big plays to Stroud and you know take care of business here because uh, Denver like look respect to what they've done but it's still you know I, I haven't changed my opinion like last week that they're an optical illusion of a team it's hard to believe your eyes that this is a team that's gone on a heater and it's going to make the playoffs but you know the results deserve respect but you know the Wilson is looking better it's certainly uh, making more sense than it did in the first stanza of the season but it's still not coherent like they're running the ball okay but Javante Williams isn't looking explosive and even Samantha Piran was used a bit more last week the, the, his, the chemistry with the receivers like outside of Kirtland Sutton Jerry Judy's still pretty much a non-factor. Marvin Mims continues to be underused. So you can't really just rely on Cortland Sutton to do everything alone, or at least you, you would imagine not. And so, you know, it's an inexperienced Houston defense. They are prone to giving up a big play or two, but they are hungry and they do tend to also make a couple of big, you know, defensive plays as well. They're good for a good sack or, or a goal line stand. So, you know, I think I'm picking Houston with my heart because this is a team I want to see more of. It's a team who obviously I'm excited for not just this season, but going forward, whereas this Denver weird wibbly-wobbly experiment it's working for now but it it still feels like a mirage maybe at the end of the season i'll have to eat crow but i don't know i'm happy enough to to do that both these teams six and five just outside the playoff on so if you go down to six losses i think you pretty much have to win out so i definitely want houston to win here it definitely it's a very important game for both sides and i think in terms of the narrative whoever wins this one is going to be very interesting to see because either the texans are an inexperienced team who are maybe just going to fall a little bit short of being they're exciting but maybe will fall a little bit short of being the playoffs this year or they'll if they win this one i did i think we know that they are a serious playoff team and we can we can begin to, to to look forward to what they're going to do down the stretch whereas if the broncos win this game i i think we have to, we can't really we're trying to ignore them to a certain extent. They're like, oh yeah, they've won five straight, but they're not actually a good team. I think if they win this one, they're suddenly going to have to start talking about them a lot. I think it's going to be a very interesting battle between the Houston offense and, and the Denver defense. Obviously, as I talked about, the Peyton and his team have, have got a lot of game plan, good game plans and good schemes. So I think they're going to throw some shit at Stroud and we're going to have to see what Stroud react to that and how can he improvise and can he get a win in that kind of situation but i do think maybe the game will be decided on the other side of the ball as to can the inexperience and the deficiencies of the houston defense be exploited by the denver offense i'm not entirely sure that they are if this is a team that gives up big plays the broncos are not a team that produces big plays so it's going to be the battle the exciting battles on one side but the battle that might matter is on the other side but yeah i'm with i'm with ronan i think houston have to win just because we, we want to live in a fun universe. I think I will say that the Texans' schedule is quite soft after this as well. So they go, they've got the Broncos this week, then they've got the Jets, the Titans, the Browns, the Titans, and the Colts. Like, if they get this win, I think they're they're heavy favourites to get a yeah. wildcard spot. But Broncos, like, they have the Lions on there, the Chargers twice, who they'll normally kind of... Yeah, but they're not the only other wild. Like, like the, the, the Bills are around, the, the Colts are yeah. around, the Colts also have 
six six losses is the most you can afford and probably still make the playoffs. You know, they're gonna be on thin ice if they lose this game. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna root for them hard. Next up, Ronan, Miami at Washington, we've gone for Miami across the board. Yeah, you expect Miami to take business against the uh, moribund uh, Washington team. The, their defense, unless Ron Rivera has been hiding something, you expect this Miami to be able to torch them and rack up the points. I don't know if it's going to be 70 points, but it'll probably be a lot of points. And as for Sam Howell, he'll probably be game. And you know, Fangio's defense has been showing progress, but now loses uh, Jalen Phillips. You, you might take a step back from that. But you know, I, I think even if he has a good game, it won't be enough. Uh, Miami's just too good right now. Detroit at New Orleans. We've gone for Detroit across the board. We mentioned beforehand New Orleans are going to be incredibly short shift at uh, wide receiver here. So Carr's going to have to try and do it going through Taysom Hill and John Johnson and people like that. This is a Detroit defense, though, like we said, that has just been playing terribly of late. So maybe they will be able to get things done with second tier wide receiver options. Goff needs to come out strong in this game. He needs to not make mistakes. And this previously much vaulted New Orleans defense has not really been up to snuff for the last little while. So it should be available for him to be able to do that. And also look, their ground game between Gibbs and Montgomery are fantastic. So they should be able to just kind of roll this out. It's a New Orleans team that feels like it might put up 14 points, maybe 17 points. That's about it. And I, like the Detroit team needs a get right game and this feels like a get right game. If the Detroit defense can't stop the New Orleans Saints without any of their good wide receivers, then it may be time to give up on this team because this is a if you if you can't win this game, the Lions are not a serious team. Like this is this is a fix your problems on defense, get your offensive confidence back, win this game maybe twenty four fourteen or something and get back in the groove. Because if they lose this game, then I do fear the the wheels might come off because this team is very vibe spaced. And if the vibes start going sour, then this team could could crash and burn. Detroit just need to stop hitting themselves in the face on both sides of the ball. On the defensive side, yeah, like Carr will probably be missing Olave. He's definitely missing Michael Thomas. So, you know, Rashid Shahid and A.T. Perry, you know, you should be able to stop them. Like maybe, you know, New Orleans can lean more on their other weapons like Alvin Kamara and Taysom Hill and Jawan Johnson to make up for it. And like given how bad this Detroit defense is, that might actually happen. Like you don't expect the Bears to score all those points. You don't expect Green Bay to score all those points. Like it's just like those haven't been great offenses for large stretches of the season. So like there is a world where New Orleans do start racking up the points. And, and on the other side, Goff, I don't know what's gone on Goff. I don't know if other yeah. teams have figured out the scheme, but these turnovers recently, the fumbles, the interceptions, they, they can't happen. Like, he either needs to play better or he needs to play more conservative. Either will be acceptable because this is a team that can run the ball. That was not the problem last week or the week before. They can run the ball really well. They can run the ball for at least 100 yards, maybe closer to 200 yards with this Gibbs-Montgomery backfield and with this offensive line. So if they can just cut out the mistakes and keep this game close and not fall into a deficit, then you expect that that brand of football can do enough and that they can keep this going. But yeah, uh, we all have concerns about Detroit right now, but we expect to get it done. And, you know, I don't think any of us really care about the Saints. Go on, Lions, uh, get, get our fight back. Chargers at New England, Sean. We've gone for the Chargers. This is... Yeah, not not a game that will hopefully live that long in memory. I, it's it's such a weird spot to be as as a Pats fan. I kind of wonder if Bill Belichick, you know, the perverse incentives of the NFL, it's actually in his interest to lose this game to kind of convince Robert Kraft that they should just completely tank to see if they can get Caleb Williams and rebuild rather than actually try to make this non functional offense do something and end up getting blamed when they can't. I mean, this is this might be the worst. Uh, this is might be the worst offense I've ever seen. This offense 
this Pats offense somehow seems to be worse than last year's, which was the worst offense I've ever seen. It doesn't matter if Mac or Zappi are at quarterback. They're equally terrible in, in terrible ways. The only option maybe is to give it to Stevenson to, to run like mad against a, a Chargers run defense that is that is just all kinds of garbage. So maybe there's a path to victory for the, for the Pats to just run the ball down the throat. But we've all gone for the Chargers, I think, probably because Justin Herbert is like the one good player in this game, it seems like, and he might be the one guy who can get things done. And because the, the Pats defense, which, you know, are well coached and occasionally perform well, they are understaffed in terms of injuries now. So they're not quite as explosive as they were earlier in the season. So I just have no faith that the, the Pats can score any points here, even against uh, what is a pretty poor defense, all things considered. And I do have some faith that the Chargers are at least capable of scoring points. And especially now that their season is over, and now they'll start probably start racking up the 500-yard <laughs> games. Arizona-Pittsburgh, we've gone for Pittsburgh across the board. Canada's gone. Their offense started to look a little bit better. They had their first 400-yard uh, game in three years. Although that said, it didn't really translate into points for them. They weren't able to kind of close it down the red zone and this is a very weak Arizona defense so hopefully they'll be able to get a lot of stuff going Kyler Ronan talked about him he's he's a bit confusing to watch at the moment it's kind of hard to pin down what he's doing well what he's doing poorly it's just a little bit chaotic but can he maybe get something going here I don't know because this is a tough defense from Pittsburgh a good pursuing defensive line so he's just going to have to avoid mistakes and I just don't think there's enough quality on that team's roster to be honest so Pittsburgh with a slightly better offense it now seems to be quite heavily running through Pat Fearmuth to probably get the win at home against Arizona and continue the drive to 500. On to the late slate Sean's pick of the week and it's a big boy clash up at the top of the NFC San Francisco traveling up to Philly to take on the Eagles myself and Ronan have gone for San Francisco Sean you've gone for Philly tells about this. I've gone for Philly because I just kind of believe that the universe wants them to keep winning games for now at the end of time. Obviously, a huge game in terms of rematch of the NFC Championship game last year, which wasn't really a contest because of the Purdy injury. The the number one seed battle, if the Niners won't have any chance of winning that, they have to win this game. The Niners, after their kind of mid-season slump, seem to be back in their groove on both sides of the ball upgraded defensively in terms of adding pieces to an already scary lineup they've got their star players back offensively and they've got that clicking again Purdy's kind of sticking in the background the way he should be and allow the, the game to work around him so the Niners are in a very good place I'm not quite sure you can say that about the Eagles because they haven't played well uh, at all this season but still they're 10-1 and one in their winning games and as we saw against the Bills they even when they play terribly they find a way to win it's going to be an interesting kind of battle between the you know the indestructible force and the immovable object here are the Niners uh, got their momentum back and makes them look unbeatable with CMC doing his stuff and Debo and such like offensively they're going to click and are they going to find holes in the Eagles uh, defense to exploit or are the Eagles just going to win because that's what they do that they they will end up getting enough fourth and ones that they can just use a touch push to, to get themselves over the line and they just end up hanging around when they're being outplayed and then suddenly go on a, a brief run in the middle of the third quarter to give themselves the lead and then they hold on to it and I just kind of feel like paper right now the Niners do look like the better team and on the field they look the eye test tells us that they're a better team but we know the Niners they do seem to have a weak spot where you know if you can get at them they maybe don't have the ability in a fight if the Eagles can get a lead 
of the Niners seem absolutely terrible at chasing leads under under Kyle Shanahan, which is not a good situation to be in. I, I think if the Niners can get out early with a big, actually score points early, the way the Eagles seem to be starting games slowly and they actually get the lead, then maybe there's a path to victory for the Niners. But if the Eagles hang around and it's close in the third quarter, the Eagles are going to do their thing and win. And if the Eagles get ahead in the first half, I just don't know if the Niners actually have the ability to, to chase games. So I, I kind of feel like even though the Niners should win this game, I kind of feel like the Eagles will win this game. Sean just going all out because he's lost his uh, lead in the uh, picks and he's like, I got <laughs> to pick something different because I think, it, you know, in, in his heart, I think, you know, Sean thinks the San Francisco 49ers should win this game uh, and he is going, he's going with the logic that the Philadelphia Eagles can just do it again because that's what they do. But like San Francisco, after obviously having that mid-season swoon and picking up those three losses in a row, coming out of their bye, they've looked like the team that they were early in the season, the most dominant team in the NFL, the one that Sean was crowing about being right on early on in the season. And it makes sense. Like Brock Purdy, you know, wasn't asked to do much last week, but absolutely eviscerated the Jacksonville Jaguars a few weeks ago. He has all of his weapons back. CMC's back to his best, getting at least 100 yards, closer to 150 yards per game. Debo Samuel's making plays Brandon Ayuk's making plays George Kittle's making plays and um with Williams at the at the uh, left tackle spot the whole thing seems to just settle down like and Philly's defense dealing with a lot of injuries like Fletcher Cox's injury Jalen Carter is dealing with injuries their defensive backs are playing but they're they're definitely hurt they're also a little bit older Zach Cunningham's out you know they might be throwing in like you know potentially Leonard if they sign him on short notice everything says that the San Francisco should take care of business so it's really just that that Philly X factor, that Philly clutchness, uh, you know, the Rocky factor that they'll just somehow once again get outgained and and not face any comeuppance for the way they've been just skating on by for the last few weeks. But I think if Hertz is going to win this game, he'll probably need to have another really good game, probably over the entirety uh, of the game, not just in the second half. I think, you know, AJ Brown has disappeared recently, so that's been an interesting wrinkle. I'll be interested to see if San Francisco can manage the same trick, but if they can get AJ, AJ Brown going again and get the run game going, then and obviously they're not going to turn into a, a bad team, but just with all those injuries and their just general iffiness, the San Francisco team, if they've genuinely been rejuvenated and they want to have a chance of getting number one seed, then they're going to be all in on this. So yeah, it'll be a tougher climb because Philly, I think the expected situation will be probably rainy again. Yeah, San Francisco are really, really good right now. So I'm willing to give them the edge here. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same vibe. Like I think San Fran are firing at all cylinders. I think Philly have been a little bit lackluster. They kind of had two games that they probably should have lost. I think that only holds for so long. The thing is, they are at home, so I could see it. I was hemming and hawing about this one. But no, I just think San Fran will show themselves to be the class. They'll get the here, but they'll still end up, I imagine, Philly will win out or close to it, and they'll probably still remain the, the top seed. But I think also think it might be good for Philly. I think sometimes you need teams to kind of to take a loss to kind of see where you need to improve and stuff because I think they have been getting a little bit more complacent. They've not quite as sharp as they have been earlier in the season. So maybe a little wake-up call wouldn't be the world's worst thing in the world. Next up, we've got Carolina, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay across the board, Ronan. Carolina, like maybe they get the interim head coach bounce, but I think the issues are so systemic there, particularly in the offense. It's hard to see it turning around. Like Tampa Bay's defense is banged up, but it's it's been okay most of this year. And on the other side, like the Baker offense is, it's a bit frustrating, but it's a bit up and down itself, but it's solid. And I imagine they'll pick up, you know, 20 points or so. And that's more often not enough to beat Carolina. So Tampa Bay, they're still alive in, in the, in the NFC South hunt. So a lot to play for Carolina. Unless they get a head coach bounce, I don't see why they Next up's my pick of the week, Cleveland, the Rams. We've gone for the Rams across the board. It's a huge game for the wildcard stuff. So Cleveland, obviously, we talked about earlier, certainly on the downslope with the problems of quarterback and everything for them, but possibly they might have been able to 
fix a little bit of that up and they'll be coming up against a Rams defense that does have Aaron Donald but doesn't have a ton outside of him so they will have opportunities potentially here from the Rams side they have played themselves into I think they're a game or a half game back from the seventh seed in the in the NFC at the moment they're going to try and build on their explosive offense they have some excellent wide receivers there but this is a defense that is very good against the pass so that's going to be the big question is what is Stafford going to look like in this game will he be able to be on the money with throws because because he's had up and down games in the last couple of weeks. I think ever since he took that ginormous shot in the game three or four weeks ago uh, to his ribs on a on a late pass, he's a little bit up and down. So I'm intrigued to see what they look like in this one against a far more stout defense. Because we're going to be seeing probably at least one of these teams in the playoffs, and I want to get a handle on what what areas they will need to work on if they're to try and find success there. A Sunday night football is the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Green Bay Packers. And we've gone for Kansas City across the board. The Chiefs look to find their mojo a little bit more last week apparently the injuries to wide receivers was all that needed to happen so that then Rishi Rice got to play 65-70% of snaps like the big thing that was weird is that they've not just been rotating receivers they've been rotating what position the receivers play at so this is the first last week was the first game that Rice played the majority of his snaps as an outside receiver and it worked quite well for them but like you said it was an undermanned secondary so we'll see if they'll be able to hold up against the Green Bay team that did pretty decently against the Lions last week Green Bay's offense looked to be kind of purring along a little bit more so I'm very intrigued to see what they look like against this Kansas City defense that has been looking very very high level this year albeit it had a little bit of a hiccup there in the first quarter against the Raiders and then kind of put the clamps back on so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see because I think this will be a good test for the Chiefs wide receivers to see if they have actually turned a corner or whether that was just fool's gold against the Raiders and for Green Bay this will be a far tougher test on defense for them. So we'll just see how that offensive scheme holds up against the Chiefs defense. I suppose the priors and our teams have been a bit wobbly really lately. We weren't quite sure how good Kansas City were. They get a, a reaffirming win against the Vegas Raiders, I would say. It wasn't perfect, as you said, they went out early. But that that's classic Chiefs, right? Go down early blow out the other team anyway and it's just it's good to see that stuff come back right after some yeah. pretty uninspiring outings and offense and the second half like failing to score in multiple games in a row so Green Bay's defense has always been a bit of an enigma under Joe Barry lots of investment lots of talent like Rashawn Gary's having a good season but always seems to underwhelm when it matters here and obviously a big spot against uh, Patrick Mahomes and co it'll be interesting to see whether they've unlocked something in terms of the non-Kelsey aspects of the offense whether Pacheco can get going here on the run game to establish some apparently there and then yeah is Rashi Rice like going to actually turn into a, a bona fide like wide receiver one for them rather than just you know mixing in more Sky Moore this week or maybe Kadarius Tony comes back and does thing maybe just save Kadarius Tony for the for the Super Bowl I don't know you know for Kansas City this is a really good kind of level of team like good but not great can they just take care of business on prime time and kind of get us back into believing that the Chiefs will probably be good when we get to the real football as for green bay you know i think they're a half game out in terms of the wildcard hunt so obviously if they get a win against kansas city that would be huge for them but you know it's probably not the game they expect to win the one that's key for their 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 their, their, their chances down the stretch i think jordan love obviously had a couple of really great performances recently the chiefs defense though has been keeping this team alive for, for large sections of the season so this would be a really good test also to see is this jordan love like a real thing or was it just because he was playing some really bad defenses because i think the big thing with jordan love is that chips have been down when 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 games have been on the line more often than not in the middle part of the season he was throwing picks so i think especially in this 
this game if the Chiefs, if it's back and forth, if you're getting to the fourth quarter and Green Bay are still hanging around, can Love show that clutchness that he really needs to show if we're going to put, start putting him in? Oh, he has the potential to be the franchise quarterback for this team. So a really interesting matchup to kind of give us an idea of where both these teams are. Um, I think Kansas City, we, you know, you know, classes, permanent and all that, uh, we're all going to pick them. But Green Bay, you know, show us something. Show us what you've got. For me, what's fascinating about this game is going to be Jordan Love versus the Kansas City defense. If he can produce what he did at Thanksgiving again, and if he's, if we can see that this, this evolution of this Packers offense continues, it's going to be fascinating to watch. But uh, yeah, you've got to have faith that the, the Chiefs will win games because that's what they do. And uh, Monday Night Football, Cincinnati at Jacksonville. We're going Jacksonville across the board. Bengals now with Browning under centre. It's kind of hitting last chance saloon for any playoff hopes they might have. So can they step it up a little bit against the Jacksonville defence that did a fairly decent job last week against the Texans. From the other side of the thing, it's going to be a question of Lawrence. Can he keep the form he's had of late? Will he be able to elevate to another level? Because this is a fairly decent Cincinnati defence. It's it's one, like I said, Jacksonville are probably close-ish to the point where they could afford to drop a game but you, know, you got to take your opportunities when you get a Burrowless Bengals team in your house like you've got to take that win Jacksonville are right in the, the number one overall seed hunt and they probably have the softest schedule of the of the three main contenders and so obviously getting a win here against a very vulnerable Cincinnati team would be big in a primetime spot Jake Browning it wasn't terrible it was fine but as I said, there's no sense that he's able to go deep. He doesn't add that explosive element. And, you know, once you take away the explosive element and turn them into like a old school West West Coast team, there's just not that much to the Bengals, right? And similar to their defense, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's just not making those big plays. It's not making those kind of close games that would make Jay Browning maybe good enough to scratch you a win or two. I think Jacksonville, like it's not perfect. I think Lawrence still, as I said, a little bit slow in some reads, but I think here he can probably do enough keep spreading the ball out to Ridley and Kirk and to Engram. Uh, hopefully Etienne plays in this game. If not, they can rely on some of the other guys and take care of business. I don't think they'll dominate Cincinnati, but I still feel they have enough quality that they'll they'll get it done. Yeah, I, I think the difference here at quarterback is, is just too large. I think, I think Lawrence and, and the offense is in a good place, whereas the Bengals' offense just... Browning is better than we thought he would be, but it's probably still not good enough to, to, to make a difference here. You've got to trust the Jags and the form they're in to take care of business here. Okay, well, that will wrap it up. Uh, as you mentioned there, I have I have taken over in the picks game after a, quite quite a strong two-week comeback, so we'll see if I can manage to keep that going. Uh, we've only got the one that we disagree on this week, so there's very little that's going to be changing anyway. Yeah, any crack for the weekend with yourselves now, lads? We may be going to Cork at some point this week because Sarah's off work and we have to collect the Christmas decorations, which is uh, mm. a fun thing to, to make Waterford feel like home. Apart from that, I don't know, we might go into, into town. Waterford's got a kind of a Winterville... Christmas market thing that's lots of random nice things going on so you might check that out as well yeah I think I'm going to be swinging off to Limerick on the weekend so we've got tickets to Foy Vance's playing down there on Sunday so uh, we're going to go down the Saturday and take Saturday Sunday down there and then come back on the Monday so it'll be a nice little kind of mini break before the ramp up into Christmas begins so that'll uh, that'll be nice yeah, I have a few things I've put off, so I'm hoping to get through them uh, this weekend, but uh, otherwise uh, pretty boring. But no, so that'll wrap us up for this week, so it's bye from myself, bye from Sean. Bye. Bye from Roland. Bye. It's been all four quarters. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you next week.